How's it going? And welcome to episode 145 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. You can follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And Kevin Hastings is at Hasting Kevin on the Twitter. And we are here once again, Kevin. Uh, week by week goes by. We're getting closer and closer. Finally, new year. So now, we, you know, I feel like this is finally where you can start confidently saying last year, meaning last season. We always hear this on uh, when talking to people and when I and just on podcasts, whatever. It's like, oh, it's it's November. And you're like last year. I mean, I mean, this past year. I mean, I mean, this last season. And you never quite know what anybody's talking about. Now we can say that confidently. And we can say that we're drafting for this year. It's just, it's just nice to be able to get that nuance out of the way. Hi, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Adam. Hope you're doing well. Enjoying your new year so far. Here we are. I think it's uh, the fifth day of the new year as we're recording. Uh, yeah, things are going great. You know, Saris was on island visiting family, yes, so hung out at a, at a brewery. Of course, we hung out for a little while. Uh, listener of the show, Matthew King, uh, joined us as well. Talked baseball over a couple of beers and uh, got a little further behind on yard work than I already was from the holidays. <laughs> but uh, never passing up a opportunity to talk baseball. Just the fact that you're talking about doing yard work in the in early January, though, is just come on, come on, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm not going to get any sympathy, but living in a tropical climate, yeah, yeah. taking uh, a week and a half, two weeks off yard work, I You'll have a lot of it. catching up. To yeah, you. yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, I'm not doing yard work either, but uh, you know, that's a, there's different reasons for that. We're supposed to get snow over the weekend. Finally, we haven't gotten. I mean, middle of Indiana, middle of the country, I haven't I haven't seen snow all season. Uh, we had a dusting on Halloween. We had uh, a dusting like the week before Christmas or week after. And then, but nothing that stuck for more than like a minute. Obviously, nothing that you're too concerned about out there. But uh, I would, it would be nice that with the cold comes, it would be nice if it brought snow with it. Um, as, as a father of two kids who would like to go outside and have a reason to go <laughs> outside. Um, it would it would be nice Not to just look do something in the cold. Dead oh grass. my god! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. We don't even see the grass. We're we're the we're the family. We're the house that doesn't uh, rake all of our leaves. Uh, we just kind of mulch them, and so our, our yard already looks terrible just because it's just mulch leaves <laughs> in, all over the yard. So we're that we're that house. Um, all right. Well, we got a lot to talk about. A lot of a lot of small things have happened in the last week, uh, including a couple of things that just came across the desk today. Um, so we're going to get to all of that. Nothing, nothing huge. Uh, I, you know what? We we will kick it off with probably the biggest thing that we just missed last weekend as it came across the desk uh, right after we were done recording. Um, well, two things, two big things that happened right after that. So we'll talk first and foremost. Uh, the big signing from the Padres, where they signed another reliever from overseas, this time signing Korean reliever Wu Suk Go to a two-year deal. They have a mutual option um, for 2026 as well. I believe there's a buyout involved in that. So if the Padres decide to go their separate ways, they still going to pay them like $2 million or something like that. Um, but now we have another guy who everybody thinks is going to be the closer for the Padres is just even more clear that not that it needed to be said again, but 
uh, we're not going to see uh, Hader come back um, in that role or probably at all for the Padres. Um, but what's your take on uh, Go or Wusuk Go um, and his role or his expected role with the Padres in 2024? I'm interested. Anytime Tim McLeod uh, is is uh, excited about a signing, as it seems he is about this one, uh, when guys come from from the uh npb and kbo yeah i get a little excited and so um i had him at the top of my queue i was ready to draft him in our recent 15 team listener league that finished up this week and somebody happened to grab him one pick before me i can't believe yes it was, spoiler that was me that was me um <laughs> but the news broke and there was still like i don't know like seven or eight he was picks. there for a while yeah he yeah. was still on the board so he was he was already going in like in DCs. He was already going in like the top thirty five rounds, like going right after that pick thirty. So he was gonna go. Um, I mean, we were in round what twenty eight? What was that twenty eight? Twenty eighth round pick uh, or twenty ninth maybe? Um, where I ended up grabbing him. So I, I feel like he was gonna end up going. Um, they, that's the type of player in a fab league, especially in December, January, that you use that 28, 29, 30th round pick. You know he's gonna sign, um, or at least you're very confident he's gonna sign. Um, and he has the closing experience in his former league, this KBO, um, where he's had success, that the risk is worth the reward um in in that late in a fab league draft i understand him going why he goes post round 30 in dc um i mean you have that flexibility you have 50 rounds you have to fill anyway um might as well take a little bit less risk or at least push the risk down you know kick the can down down the road a little bit there but in a fab league those last couple picks are all about risk yeah absolutely and uh that you know the talk about we we heard the same talk about Matt Sui, uh, when the Padres signed him, I believe that uh, he may yes. close games, but it seems more, um, it, it, it really looks to me more like that's what the Padres do have in mind for Wunzuko. So, yeah, I, I moved him straight to the top of my queue when that, that seemed like that was their intention with the signing. Uh, and uh, I think I think you got a good one there for that late in a, a 15 team league. Let's also remember we talked about this last week. You know the Padres and Dodgers play that first two game series um, in in Korea. One, so obviously he's gonna he's gonna get in the game, um, and it would be nice if he was in that high leverage situation. So you get that you know that first save possibly if they can if they can get a win from the Dodgers in those first two games. There's that opportunity there as well. Um, it, I I don't know how much I would play. And we talk about this a lot, and you bring in, you remind everybody that I talk about this a lot as far as closers that have a contract rather than arbitration. I wonder if because he only has a two year deal versus Matsui's four year deal, that he actually would be more apt to be put into the closer role to add trade value in in the short term. Um, Some of you signed to a four year deal. Typically, you're not looking to trade him right away, but on a short-term deal like that, I wonder if the Padres, depending on where they're at at the end of the season or you know into next season, um, would want to you know dangle him out there. And if he has more closing or successful closing experience through this year, that'll obviously add to that value as well. 
Um, all right. The other big news, I'm jumping around this outline, Kevin. I uh, just want to get these things out of the way. Uh, the big news that we just missed out, and I messaged you right after we were done recording, of course, it happened at that time, was the big trade between the Boston Red Sox and Atlanta. Uh, we have Chris Sale entering the rotation for Atlanta, um, also signing an extension um, at his age to keep him in Atlanta through 2025 with a new club option for 2026. They had um, a club option for 2025 prior so now that's guaranteed money in his pocket the red sox also sent some cash that basically covers his contract uh for this year 2024 obviously he's in that rotation he's toured if not at the top of that rotation uh for atlanta um not much to say there per se but on the flip side the red sox get presumably their second baseman of the future the Red Sox have gone through a few of these guys as far as their, quote, second baseman of the future uh, go. Um, and there's still no guarantee that, you know, Grissom is that second baseman of the future. I'm of the opinion that maybe Trevor Story should probably move over to second base, but, you know, that's not why they signed him as well. Uh, but I would expect Grissom to be an everyday player in his new role. Does the fact that Grissom is going to a position, going to a team, where there's a clear uh, path to playing time um, on a still a decent offense around him in a ballpark that is very favorable, um, do enough for you to be gen- gen- genuinely interested in drafting Grissom as a starting second baseman in a 15-team league? Hmm. Well, you don't have to. And uh, it's it's yet to be seen how far he rises in drafts, but uh, as as we're going to talk later in this episode um, uh, about some of the the later round guys, I mean, he's going twenty fifth round or later in fifteen team leagues right now, and that's going to go up a little bit. But by then, you better have a second baseman. Uh, so we're <laughs> probably looking at at least middle infielder. Uh, to answer your question, no, uh, I am buying into uh, Nick Pollock's and 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 many others' uh, philosophy, and uh, especially this season, uh, you have to have a plan for second base going into a draft. I have drafted either Ozzy Albies or Marcus Simeon in, I believe, every draft I've been in. I haven't been in a position where I could take Mookie Betts yet. Well, I have, but I took Ronald Acuna Jr. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, fair. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I, I'm getting one of those guys. At, at least I have so far, and I, I hope to continue to do that um, because the, there's there's a big cliff in my mind after the first three or four guys. If you if you uh, count Jose Altuve in, in there, so. I, I haven't been in a spot and, and I don't want to be in a spot where I would have to make that decision. So I'm going to go no uh, as far as being my starting second baseman on my fantasy team. But middle infielder, uh, definitely second, third, second baseman in a DC. Yep. I, I think he's going to get the playing time at least to start. Hopefully his defense is adequate enough that he stays in the lineup. I think he's going to hit enough, but is he going to play good enough defense? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the key. He's terrible at that. Um, that's a part of his job that he is, you know, he needs a performance improvement plan. 
Um, and hopefully they're kind of know if the Red Sox are the team that are going to do that for him. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, second base is pretty much the only place. I mean, I don't I don't want to see him in left field. I don't want him to see him playing the, the off the monster. Um, and now there are all these weird rumors going around that, you know, Yoshida is possibly being shopped, but not really being shopped, but they're keeping their options open. So because Teoscar Hernandez is, is of interest to the Red Sox. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do, of course, especially as a Red Sox fan. But in general, um, I don't I don't have a ton of faith in um, in that aspect of them uh, moving him along uh, the Grissom that is um, defensively. So, you know, second base is pretty much all I'm expecting to see out of him. And we need to see if he's actually going to start, you know, hitting the ball enough to kind of warrant that as well. But they have a lot of control over him. He obviously has some talent. He's shown some good. He shows some good flashes. Uh, so we'll see how that is. I asked a question about him being a starting second baseman. Not that I expect him to be the starting second baseman for anybody, but because, as you alluded to, or you very directly said, there's big cliffs at second base. There's some. There's cliffs at every position. We all know this, uh, but there's multiple cliffs. I feel at second base, and it's really easy to jump off each cliff and then be like, all right, well now I'm going to wait even longer and then find yourself in a position where I don't have a second baseman really late. So now I've got to start kind of bulk drafting guys that have second base eligibility, um, basically drafting multiple middle infielders. Um, one of them will maybe end up being my starting second baseman by default. Um, and, and I wonder if that his value would be up enough to like put him into that mix where you're you're drafting guys along the same lines as um you know beside Grissom, but also uh looking through this, you know, Luis Urias in Seattle, now in Seattle. Um this we're going deep into DC, we're going past round 30 here. Um, whether it's Vargas in the Dodgers, if he ha- if he has more of a role, um Luis Garcia in Washington, Brendan Rodgers in Colorado. Uh, and then up up a notch, we have Rosario in, in, with the Dodgers as well, second base eligible, uh, Bryce Trang in that in that bunch. And if you get a bunch of these, Gavin Lux um, still has a second base eligibility as well. Um, if you have enough of these guys, are you willing to like draft a bunch of these guys? It doesn't sound like you are because you've already talked about how you want to make sure you have that, that, that tent pole um, and as you mentioned, you've been dra- drafting Albies and or Simeon. You drafted Albies in our 15-teamer. We, as we talked about earlier, we are back-to-back. In th- we were back-to-back in that draft. I drafted Simeon right after you because I was upset because you picked Albies because uh, <laughs> I right. had the same and, and <laughs> Yeah, and and like you're talking, uh, the, the, the groupings here, even moving up, uh, we're going to turn this into a second-base episode here real quick. Uh, a- after those four guys, Betts, Albies, Simeon, Altuve, the next three guys are all shortstop eligible. Uh, that's Nico Horner, Matt McLean, Hayson Kim, according to NFBC ADP. And, and then we have Glaber Torres going just inside the top 100. And he's, I, I, I'd be fine with Glaber Torres, but I don't want to be in a spot where I have to get him. Right. Right. And because I, everybody's looking at this. Everybody's got questions after that. Bryson Stott, Andres Jimenez. I, that I, I understand uh, the potential of these guys, but they all have question marks. Cattell Marte, Zach uh, Geloff. Then we got more multi 
eligible players in Estrada and Edmund. Luis Arias in a 15-team league is being drafted as a starting second baseman if everybody that's second base eligible is playing second base for their fantasy teams. So we're looking at Nolan Gorman, Jonathan India, Edward Julian, probably being drafted as starting second baseman in 15-team leagues. It's rough. So now thinking of it that way, maybe Von Grissom can make his way to the point where if we if we are confident he is going to be able to hold that position, he's a starting second baseman in fantasy baseball. All right. Like like you said, let's we're gonna move on now so we don't turn this into a second base preview. <laughs> we don't typically do our preview episodes like that. Uh we'll do it by category and we'll start those in a couple of weeks. But let's move on regardless. Uh, to some more recent news that has come around. We have a couple of trades that are either completed or basically completed. Uh, Seattle making a lot of moves. Let's just go through the onslaught of moves that they have made so far. First and foremost, they changed their rotation. They got rid of Robbie Ray, who will be on the shelf for the majority of the, at least the first half of the season after having Tommy John last year. Uh, he gets shipped off to San Francisco. Uh, and instead, they get Anthony Disclafani, um, who will fill in some kind of role in their pitching uh, for their pitching staff. And then they get back Mitch Haniger, which is just fun. That's just fun to see Mitch Haniger going back to Seattle. Um, on top of that, they also acquired Luke Raley uh, from Tampa Bay, and they send infielder Jose Caballero to Tampa Bay, which he just seems like. A Tampa Bay. He seemed like he was already on Tampa Bay already. He was just one of those guys. The way you know what he brings to the field, um, and then just just in general, it's just I assumed he was already there. Um, so I know I'm not I'm not going to spend any time asking you how you feel about Robbie Ray going to San Francisco because I don't think it matters. Uh, but what role do you see um, Anthony Discafani having um, in, in Seattle after what he did or didn't do in San Francisco last year? Unfortunately for him, I think he's the long relief guy and spot starter until we see an injury. Uh, we were talking a little bit off air uh, about this rotation. Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, George Kuby, Kirby, Bryce Miller, Brian Wu. I think that's the rotation. There I really go. do. Yeah. A couple of these guys have, you know, Wu only threw 87 innings, but he did threw some in the minors uh, as well. So, but every team uses more than five starters at some point throughout the year. And I think as of right now, that probably will be Desclafani. Yeah, I mean, that makes the most sense of why Seattle would make this kind of a move after signing Ray to such a long-term um, deal, after, you know, coming off his Cy Young season in Toronto. Um, you're not going to have him. I mean, you're simply not going to have him. You don't know what you're going to have out of him um, at this time, you know, at you know, halfway through the season when he does return, assuming he does return, that's not set in stone. So a lot more question marks with him. So I understand why they do that, how they can fill that, you know, that roster spot a little bit more efficiently, even with somebody like Desclafani. Um, Luke Rayleigh, does he fill, does he fill the, the time slot that maybe they lost from sending Kalanick to Atlanta in that outfield in Seattle and, you know, not bringing back other players. Mitch Haniger, is he f fighting for an outfield spot? Is he just going to fight with Mitch Garver for DH position? Like these, 
these two guys seem like they uh, they don't necessarily have everyday playing time, even with Mitch Haniger's history. I think Haniger's going to get the first shot and win healthy. He's the right fielder. I really do. Uh, I, I don't I don't see Sam Haggerty, Dylan Moore, Taylor Trammell uh, playing in front of Mitch Haniger when he's healthy. So I think he does. Luke Rayleigh, hopefully. Uh, uh, I, I really hope so because we're going to talk about him in our, our topic later in the show. I'm really hoping Luke Rayleigh is more, I think he'll at least be strong side platoon uh, as the left fielder. And that's where roster resource has him. That's what I was thinking before I pulled it up. I'm hoping at least that maybe even a little more uh, than just facing righties, but um yeah, I think so. I think they're two of the three outfielders along with Julio Rodriguez most days in Seattle. Yeah. And I mean, Caballero going to Tampa Bay seems like, you know, he's destined to be the short side of the platoon at most at this point, based on who else they have coming up and already in their infield. Um, would you like to retort that? Or does that seem like pretty low hanging fruit? No, I think so. Um, uh, they're, they're, some guys were pointing out in the pitcher list discord today that Taylor walls has not been as good of a defender as his reputation may lead us to believe. So that may help his playing time a little more, but I'll have to see that first. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Uh, so Tampa Bay, not done as it looks like they are trading Andrew Kittredge to St. Louis. Um, and in return, St. Louis should be sending Richie Palacios, to the race. Uh, so my only question is, is that the obvious is the obvious question here. St. Louis is sending a younger outfielder away before they have a chance to really make a name for themselves. Is he just, should we be drafting him in the first round now? Uh, just assuming that that's <laughs> that is what happens um, as we've seen time and time again with these outfielders leaving St. Louis. Maybe not first round fantasy drafts, but he's an all-star. That's for sure. <laughs> It's. I mean, it's it's guaranteed, right? It's a lock. You might as well. Uh, you can find <laughs> that prop bet. And, you might as well throw at least five bucks on that. <laughs> right, and 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 he looked really good at, at times late in the season when we got to see him. Uh, Tampa, we know that they, they they play matchups. We know that they also uh, make make trades like this and usually come out smelling like a rose. So. Yes, this does pique my interest in uh, Richie Palacios. Yeah, Kittredge joining the St. Louis bullpen, which, I mean, could be argued that it is in flux um, to an extent, but I think that they've already got some solid names in there that uh, um, I don't I don't foresee Kittredge, you know, taking a whole bulk of saves in that situation in St. Louis um, between Helsley and, you know, Gallegos and, and anybody else that uh, they might have. Uh, JC Romero, who was, you know, made a name for himself at the end of last season as well. Um, but still very, very solid pitcher, somebody who could force his way into that situation, I guess, with enough injuries and enough, uh, you know, if they make those decisions. So a name to watch, but in my opinion, not, you know, not somebody I'm drafting. Yeah, we didn't see him much in 2023, but mm -hmm. uh, in 2022, he was somebody we talked about quite often on on our uh saturday night uh fab shows uh, that we'll be coming back with in 2024 and good ratios strikeouts 
could go either way with uh, snagging wins and saves when you're lucky. So I, I foresee we'll talk about him throughout this season as well, but agree, not somebody we're drafting. All right. Uh, let's see the next thing here on the list. we got a whole bunch to talk about, Kevin, uh, but we're going to do that right after this break. All right, a couple small things that let's just do lightning round on some of these guys. Kevin, uh, we got Harrison Bader. He signs a one-year deal with the New York Mets. Um, does I mean Bader obviously play center field when when healthy or when able? Uh, do you see him playing every day, or, or you know, there, there's a couple other options that uh, it seemed like the Mets had going into this? Yeah. Um... I think he is going to play every day as long as he stays healthy. We have no idea how long that will be. We we talked about him earlier in the offseason, and it's all about health with Harrison Bader. Uh, we'd be happy to have him on our teams when healthy. Uh, it sure looks like for now he's going to go into 2024 healthy. That there's still a lot of risk with that. We 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 know that. Uh, in my mind, he's right there with Byron Buxton in, in that regard. Hopefully, uh, we see him on the field, but um, I I knock him down a, a, a couple of rounds um, beyond what his projections tell us, even with the plate appearances, because. You just don't know when you're going to miss those play appearances. So unfortunately, it, it, he's he's not going to be somebody that ends up on many of my teams. But uh, if he stays healthy, uh, I think to answer your question once again, yeah, when healthy, he's a center fielder. I mean, all the rumblings that you know you see around Twitter after this move is made was obviously revolving not around Bader, but around their other trade acquisition earlier, Tyron Taylor. Uh, whether or not, you know, it seemed like this was an exciting opportunity for him to get more playing time it, with his new role with the Mets. Um, I'm assuming that, you know, this is at least going to cut into it with Bader's um, um, signing. Yeah. And that was my initial reaction. And um, I, I was, I was at first, I was a little disappointed for Tyrone Taylor. But I don't think this lasts very long. You got Brandon Nimmo, Starling Marte, and Harrison Bader as the starting yeah. outfielders in New York right now. We're going to see Tyrone Table Taylor by the second week in April. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Lock it in. Um, all right. Speaking of injured players signing new uh, new contracts with new teams, Frankie Montas he signs a one year deal. Obviously, a make good deal, uh, kind of prove it deal with of all places. Not the best place to sign a let's see what I can do and put up the best numbers, the Cincinnati Reds. Um, I don't know. This didn't make any sense to me from Frankie Montas's standpoint. Maybe it's just like, hey, they're offering me the most money. I don't care. I'll do what I can. Um, but if you want to if you want to sign a one year deal to kind of show off what you can do to you so you can get that long term contract. You don't do it in Cincinnati. You don't do it in Colorado. You don't even do it with like, you know, in Fenway or like you just pick the best place for you. It doesn't even have to be a good team. Um, so I don't know. I thought this was a, from that perspective, a surprising move on Montas's side of things. Now from Cincinnati's side of things, happy for them. Um, especially since, you know, they're the closest team to me and hopefully I'll be able to get to a game or two this season. Um, it'll be fun to watch, 
but what are you expecting out of Montas in Cincinnati? And, you know, we talked about this, how the fact that he's healthy, like he, he pitched what a one and third innings total at the very end of the 2023 season for the Yankees. Um, he can't throw a baseball off the mound on a major league stadium. So he's got an all off season to get back into shape and, and make sure that he's ready to go. Cincinnati obviously is confident enough to give him some money to do so. It's still Cincinnati. Uh, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, obviously not the best spot to land for for a pitcher for for our fantasy pur- purposes. You're you're correct. Uh, happy for Cincinnati if he works out. I, I'm worried about innings. Steamer hasn't projected for 150 innings. He's done that once, and it was three years ago. He hasn't come close to that in his career other than in 2021. And he pitched in Oakland Coliseum, complete 180 from Great American Small Park. Uh, It's more the innings I'm worried about than the ballpark. Uh, I, I think I, I think he'll be okay. I mean, we've seen we've seen a lot of pitchers have success uh, over the years in Great American Small Park. Uh, yes, it is a great hitter's park, but it's not Coors Field. It, it, it's not the massive outfield where everybody's BABIP goes up by 100 points and the ball can sail uh, 600 feet. So it it's not the worst spot even though it's pretty close, I'm more concerned about the innings. Um, I have Montas and held on to him in a couple of dynasty leagues. I hope he, I hope he gives us innings. Um, I, I'm not expecting more than about 120 and that's if he's healthy all year long. That's what I'm worried about. Um, I know, I know once you've thrown innings, and, and he's been healthy long enough, hopefully, and I'm sure he is. He's already building up, getting that arm strength back. But I do not see this 150 any production that Steamer has him for. Yeah, I mean, I hate you know you hate to bring it up, but it's always in the back of my mind with Montas. Ever since he got you know pegged with the PEDs, he's never like he's never been the same health wise. And most people realize now that PEDs aren't usually used for performance enhancing it's just bringing back the performance being able to come back from injury being able to come back from recovery time yeah exactly and so with you know maybe you know not being able to do that you know obviously has impacted him uh at least you know from the way i'm looking at it but i'm not a doctor uh so I, i don't know much about that uh Let's let's move on to what you know. The thing we talked about the most before we uh, we started recording here, uh, the White Sox are making moves. Every every show we have a new White Sox signing. Uh, I'm assuming sooner or later we'll be able to talk about a trade that everybody's rumbling about with Dylan Cease on the move, possibly to New York or Baltimore or somewhere else. But for now, we get to talk about one of our boys, and that is Brett Phillips. Uh, Phillips 60. I really hope he saw, he uses, he gets Jersey 66. Um, I don't think they have that, uh, <laughs> definitely not retired in Chicago, but it's, uh, hopefully it's, it's not some kind of nuance that they can't give it to him if he asks for it. Anyway, Brett Phillips now signs a major league deal with the, with the White Sox, presumably making him, 
I guess maybe a starter. Um, we'll see how uh, how that how that turns out. But uh, what are the White Sox like doing? What, Kevin, are you interested in anybody outside? Of, I mean, outside of Luis Robert Jr. Maybe maybe you're not even interested in him due to injury concerns. But um, I just drafted Andrew Vaughn, and I felt a little dirty about it. Yeah, uh, exactly. I've looked at Andrew Vaughn a couple of times. Haven't pulled the trigger yet. I am interested in the right spot. The the injury history slash rest of the lineup in Chicago has kept me away from Luis Robert. Uh, I am kind of interested in Eloy Jimenez. When I haven't pulled this trigger yet, but the price is getting so low that he might be worth a shot. Uh, I just feel for Brett Phillips here. Um, hopefully, hopefully this signing either has a they promised him a starting role, or b they just offered him more money than anybody else would give him. Uh, maybe they offered him a role as a relief pitcher. I don't know, but it's yes. I, I feel bad for him going <laughs> to this spot, and uh, I feel bad for our friend Mike Carter. That this team is just a mess. Actually, maybe I feel good for Mike Carter because now he at least has Brett Phillips to root for this season. There you go. There you go. I like that. Um, yeah, we'll see what ends up uh, being his role with the White Sox, but uh, I'll always be rooting for him. Um, Mike, you too. Be rooting for you too, man. Sorry. Uh, all right. Last two deals here. Much smaller deal, even smaller than Brett Phillips. Uh, Arizona signs shortstop Kevin Newman and catcher Tucker Barnhart. Barnhart signed a minor minor league contract, presumably with the invite to spring training and all that. Um, but Kevin Newman... Uh, shortstop for Arizona. Uh, why? Yeah, this is depth <laughs> is all I can see here. Um, I, I don't think he's going to play over Perdomo. I don't think he's going to play over Cattell Marte. I don't think he's going to play definitely over Jordan Lawler when, when they bring him up. So I think it's a depth move. Uh, Kevin Newman, pretty highly rated prospect a few years ago injuries performance hasn't worked out yeah i don't see anything changing with the diamondbacks as far as fantasy is concerned yeah i'm t- we said you made the joke about phelps being a reliever for the white Sox. um barnhart uh also one of those position players that likes to get into the game for the cubs last year he was he pitched at the game i went to at regularly last year and it was amazing I, I like I'm watching the radar gun on the screen and I see it I'm like, oh, OK, he threw I think he threw like, you know, 67, 68 or something like that. But then he threw something 37 miles per hour. And I don't know what it was. Uh, but the fact I'm like, hey, that's a pretty good range. If you can if you can, if you can differentiate your pitches 30 miles in difference, um, you know, you're going to you're going to throw some guys. And he got a strikeout. So I was pretty impressed by it. I, I love that because I was a catcher growing up all, all the way till I graduated high school. And I had very few, very brief pitching appearances throughout my career. And for me, that 37 mile an hour would have been my knuckle curve. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what it was. Um, all right. Last thing here on the list, Colorado. They signed another pitcher making us, you know, care that much less about Dakota Hudson. Um, and then, but they also signed Jacob Stallings, another catcher signing here. 
Um, Stallings obviously has played, you know, a long career, um, but it's interesting to see them fill their catching. It was a vacancy, but, you know, it seemed like if there was a hole that Colorado might have had, it might have been for catcher. Um, Everybody's obviously clamoring for Gary Sanchez to sign there uh, and see what he could do. But obviously that's probably not happening now. Does this make you any more interested in Stallings at the catcher position, especially in a D.C. where you're probably drafting three or four guys? At least Diaz is still under contract for Colorado. So that this probably hurts both him and Stallings. On the flip side, uh, I really thought Stallings was going to be going back to Miami, and now I'm much more interested in Christian Betancourt who I had already drafted as a second catcher in a league, and now I'm ecstatic about where I got him. So I'm more worried uh, about the the Colorado situation, but uh, pretty excited about the Miami situation now. Yeah, the Miami situation, it seemed like it was a little bit more crowded than I would have liked it to have been at the catcher, especially when they brought in Bencourt um, as well between – you know, Stallings possibly returning and then um, Nick Fortes. Fortes is still there. Yeah. Yeah. Fortes being the guy that people were more excited about myself included going into last year, just not, not thinking personally that Fortes was going to get a whole lot of playing time with Stallings, you know, basically being the defensive guy behind the plate. We'll see how that, that maps out between Bethencourt and, and Fortes, obviously Fortes being the younger guy in Miami um, kind of coming up as their, I don't know I, if I would necessarily tag him as the catcher of the future um, or at least that's how they might have seen him, um, but it seemed like uh, he was doing all the right things um, going into 2023 that he could have at least made a name for himself in that in that, in that that way. Bethencourt only yeah, had like the- his own little spot in Boston where he did a bunch of stuff, but everywhere else he's been, he's been that backup, um, that backup guy. Yeah, 660 plate appearances over the last two seasons uh, for Stallings in Miami, uh, now available. I don't think they're all going to Fortes. Uh, so yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this move for Betancourt. All right. Fair enough. All right. That, that locks it down. I was hoping to see something else kind of come through at the last second, but nope. Of course it'll come through well, as soon as right I hit in, a, in about an hour, Adam. Yeah. As soon as I hit end <laughs> recording on this, bu- this button right here, we'll see something. Uh, but in the meantime, let's talk about uh, the thing you've been alluding to. We're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about, those all-around players that you're trying to find later on in your drafts, the guys uh, are talking hitters who can be five-category contributors um, that you don't have to grab in the first 10 rounds, at least the ones that you think will make a name for themselves in 2024. We'll get to all that talk after this quick all right, we're back. You're still listening to On The Wire. Of course, I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hastings, and we are going to get into the 2020 club. Um, these are, I, I said before the break, that we're going to talk about guys that are five-category contributors. Um, that's a little that's a little, little strong, because um, really what it comes down to is you're a five, like you can, you can be an addition to your team or a player can be an addition to your team in the average category as long as you're not hitting below 230 at this point in in major league baseball really uh you're not hurting anything you're not helping you're not 
contributor, I guess. Um, but as long as you're not, you know, you know, Kyle Schwarber, Joey Gallows, those guys are are hurting you in that category. But as long as you can kind of stay above, you can you can tread water at 230, 240. Um, and then you start helping your team right around the, you know, the 260 mark um, at this point. But for the purposes of this conversation, Kevin, uh, we're going to be talking about guys that either went 2020 or just to be a little bit more cheeky about it, we're going 2024 in 2024. Um, so 19 hitters, let's just put this in perspective, 19 hitters last year in 2023 hit the 2020 mark. Um, excuse me, 17 players, um, hit the 2020 mark in 2023. Five of them are not projected to repeat in 2024. So let's go through some of those guys that are not projected by steamer, um, to, to hit that 2020 mark again in 2024. That includes Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani, uh, Luis Robert Jr., Cody Bellinger. Um, excuse me, Otani is projected. Scratch that. Uh, Lane Thomas and George Springer. They, these guys are not projected, but they did hit it in 2023. A uh, couple of guys in 2024 that stand out. There are, nine, there are 19 guys who are projected by Steamer to hit the 2020 mark um, who did not do it in 2023 is Michael Harris. Second, uh, we got O'Neill Cruz, Christian Yelich, Zach Geloff, you mentioned earlier, and then Trevor Story, who I mentioned in passing earlier as well. So those guys, uh, um, sorry, and Ellie De La Cruz and Jazz Chisholm Jr. rounded out as well. So those guys um, are, are all projected to hit 2020 in 2024 who did not hit the mark in 2023. So pretty equal list, right? There's 19 players projected in total for 2024 by steamer to hit that mark. There are set there's 17 hit them last year. So pretty, pretty evenly matched there as far as projections versus what we saw last year. Of course, we saw the stolen bases go up in general um, of this list, five of only five players on each list hit the 2024 mark, and that's the that's what we're going with for the remainder of this. Is just be um, on point with our theme here. 2020, 2024 in 2024. Excuse me. Uh, we've got the of the guys who are projected to go 2020. Uh, like I said, five of them, um, or sorry, ten of them. Wow, I am on a roll, Kevin. I'm on a roll. I, I can't talk Too this many long. Numbers. No many, mo- no, no more monologues for me. Uh, Ronald Cunha Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, Bobby Wood Jr., Corbin Carroll, Randy Orozarena, Trey Turner, Jazz Chisholm, and Ellie De La Cruz all uh, projected to hit the 2024 mark. All of these guys, every name I've listed so far, is being drafted in the top nine rounds in your 15 your standard 15 teamers in your dcs so using adp that i collected from draft champions between december 1st and january 4th uh all these guys are going before the end of the ninth round with zach geloff going at adp 135 anthony volpe on on both those lists actually uh going at adp 132 those guys are going to round it out so what i want to talk to you about is names that you see going in any draft, but we're going to use the same DC uh, draft for looking at rounds and ADP uh, after round nine, who you think could, even though they're not being projected for it, 
who you would be the most confident as who's going to hit that 2024 mark um, in 2024. And so uh, it's pretty straightforward, really. It's like, look for the guys who, who are the guys that are going to, you know, be surprising if they're going to find their way into extra playing time. Um, they're going to have success on the base pass. So they're going to be allowed to run a little bit more, whatever the case may be. Um, we need some names and we need to draft them because we don't want to necessarily be handcuffed in the first nine rounds to grab one of these other guys that at least steamer thinks is going to be um, the guys that we want to be drafting for the more rounded players um, in our lineup. So I'm going to group this together rounds in about three round groupings. Um, Cause as obviously as we go long in your draft, so we're only going to go to round 30. We're looking at this as the fab league uh, style uh, scenario rounds 10 through 12. Again, looking at that ADP board from draft champions between it's nicely because you, you can make a board um, like an actual draft board instead of just looking down the list. So you can kind of see the rounds uh, graphically there rounds 10 through 12. Kevin, what are the names that stand out for you? Okay. There's several names here. And I, I, I did this a couple of ways. The first thing I did was I looked for some players uh, in the steamer 600. So based on uh, close to a full season's plate appearances that got us close. And that was the first way I looked at it. I didn't look at the ADP. I looked for players I thought could be close and then went to where they were being drafted. And then after I had done that, I went back and went down the ADP list and went through every player in these groups of rounds and looked for players I thought could do this. So I looked at it from both directions. And this round of 10 to 12, as you would expect, far more possibilities than as we get later in drafts. But I'm really excited about Chaz McCormick for 2024. We're talking about a guy that was almost a four-win player in 115 games. And yes, defense goes into that, but it was mostly due to his offense. He had a 133 WRC+. plus. So I'm talking real baseball numbers here. A 114 WRC plus in 2022. For some reason, Dusty Baker didn't play Chaz McCormick full time, and he doesn't have these huge platoon splits, right? He should be an everyday player. Steamer is still only projecting him because all they have to go off of is what he's done in the past. I, I know projections include a lot of things that we don't think they might. And we talk about that all the time. Don't double count things. I don't think Steamer is accounting for the fact that Dusty Baker is no longer the manager of the Houston <laughs> Astros. They haven't projected for 123 games. In those 123 games, they're projecting him for 18 home runs, 13 stolen bases. Both big drop-offs from what he did in 115 games in 2023. I, I, and Chaz McCormick, you you stipulated you had first said five tool or five category players, and then kind of pulled back on that and said, well, maybe not all five categories for some of these guys. We're talking two fifty nine career batting average mm -hmm. here and a two seventy three in twenty twenty three for Chaz McCormick. Uh, 
I'm penciling Chaz McCormick in for at least 140 games. That's jumping everything up. Also, his success rate on stolen bases was high enough. I don't see this drop-off in stolen base attempts that Steamer is projecting. Uh, in fact, I see more. I, I think Chaz McCormick is going to outperform, and he barely misses or barely missed it last year. He, he wouldn't even be somebody we could talk about if he'd gotten one more stolen base. Mm-hmm. Right? He had 19. But I think Chaz McCormick makes this fairly easily with a decent batting average. Sure, it probably comes down a bit from 273, but I think he's that 260 to 270 guy. Uh, he's going to score us 70 to 80 runs, 80 RBI if everything, you know, in 140 games, I'm saying, not going by his projections. I think he is the five category guy going in this spot and he's he's going in the 12th round i i didn't i didn't go to the top end of the range here he's he's adp 174 he has gone as early as 140 as late as 197 and there's a lot of other names here in this 10 to 12 round that i like but uh i really like Chaz mccormick yeah i mean the you know whenever you you throw out a name that I've seen in Jeff Zimmerman's Mining the News, I always got to reference that, but in one of his more recent ones um, in mid-December, Chaz McCormick's name popped up just with GM Dana Brown, again, saying that McCormick was an everyday guy, whether or not he's you know in center field or in, another, in a corner spot, doesn't matter. Um, it's nice to know that at least the GM has uh, has back in that, in that realm, even if guys like Jake Meyer get more run in center field and kind of push him over to the corner. Michael Brantley just re- retired. So, you know, he's not coming back to Houston for whatever reason. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. If McCormick gets that playing time, I, I like that. I like that name a lot. Um, as you mentioned, there's a whole lot of names uh, as possibility. A lot of these guys kind of going in and out as I was kind of like changing the, the, the parameters of this ADP with Wyatt Lankford kind of moving around, Jackson Churio being this young guy that obviously has moved up and down in ADP based on uh, his signing of his contract and all that. Evan Carter, like so, this is definitely the that that time period in the draft where you've got to you know you got to make your decisions as far as if you want to make a statement with these younger guys that if given the playing time, yeah, I understand why they're on your list as well. Uh, just it's just a matter of whether or not you can trust the the steamer 600 or the standard steamer because you're not exactly sure what kind of playing time they're going to get from the get-go because of course we're talking about these you know these these stats that matter throughout the course of the season um you know if you take what they do from june on you could say oh they extrapolate that to a 2024 season sure um, but we need to know what they're going to be doing throughout the course of the entire season as well yeah the other guy i'm excited about here and it, you named Several of the guys, uh, they all have many, many of them are the are rookies, so we don't know exactly the playing time. Evan Carter, Churio, uh, Langford, you mentioned all, all of these guys are, are being drafted in this range. Other guys have playing time concerns. Uh, TJ Friedel in Cincinnati, right? All the Cincinnati Reds right now have playing time concerns, right? So we're worried about that, but I'm pretty excited about Altman in LA 
in this spot. Steamer only has him projected for nine stolen bases, but he was 16 out of 19 last season. And this is something that was talked about in Arizona, right? When the success rate is that high, then we're not attempting enough stolen bases. And now they're cutting another two seconds off the pitch clock when there's a runner on base mm-hmm. that just sure. concentrates the time. The runners can time that even better. So I like Altman here with a, a good shot to break into this group. I'm not yeah, worried I'm, about the home runs at all. No, <laughs> uh, I mean, it seems like uh, there's a little bit more opportunity in the outfield as well for the Dodgers, especially if, you know, Mookie Betts is going to be playing every day at second base um, as it's been alluded to as well by Dave Roberts uh, and to give him that kind of opportunity, whether it's a, you know, fourth outfielder or not still being able to rotate in more often. And maybe he's not a pinch runner, so he's not going to get those kind of stolen bases. Uh, But you got to think about how many, how many opportunities he's actually going to get and very well, be you know, he's a starting center fielder playing pretty much every day um, for the Dodgers. So, he should surpass the the playing time that he that he that we saw him in 2023 and he still had 567 plate appearances last year um and so the fact that you know 567 plate appearances translated to 19 stolen base attempts like you said that success rate is you know should if he can bring that up you know to over the 600 mark at least be able to bring him over that 20 stolen base mark if not uh if not hit that 2024 mark that we're looking for. All right, let's move on then, Kevin. We got, that was rounds 10 through 12. Let's move a little bit further down. Again, we're doing this in three round grouping. So rounds 13 through 15, we're doing 15 rounders. So we're talking about your main events. We're talking about our 15 team listener leagues, uh, main event qualifiers, any other 15 teamer that you're doing a fab draft in. Uh, That's what we're using as reference point. So for rounds, you can translate that on your own for 12 teamers, but all these guys are still going to be available um, in the general vicinity, especially in that ADP range as well. So rounds 13 to 15, Kevin, who's obviously the, the pool starts to dwindle as we move down in this fictional draft area. Uh, But who who are you looking at? Yeah. A few less players here that, that I feel have the possibility Uh, a a couple that I'm just going to gloss over Jonathan, India, uh, I think there's a chance, once again, playing time in Cincinnati. And if he's one of the guys that we think Cincinnati has to trade somebody, uh, wherever he ends up, we're not sure. But I think he has the skills to do it. Uh, Jeremy Pena would really have to up his stolen base attempts. Uh, but I think there's a shot there. I I struggled between the other three guys I have in this range. Um Jared Kelnick might have just got more plate appearances. You know, we thought he might be strong side of the platoon in Atlanta with Vaughn Grissom uh, facing lefties uh, as the left fielder, but I, I don't see anybody else as that roster's constructed right now that they're probably going to let do that. So Jared Kelnick's plate appearances probably just went up a bit. I like that. Um, I'm really excited about Lars Nupar. I know many we're on him last year and we're hearing a little less about him this year. I think that's a buying opportunity. I, th- I think there's a, a big 
big opportunity here. I like him just as much, if not more, because he performed in spite of the the playing time not quite being consistent due to injuries and, and things. So I like Lars Newbar there. But I settled on the, the one guy uh, going in the 14th round, 208 ADP, and it's a tight ADP. His, his min is 191, max 237. That's a pretty short range for, for this late in a draft. So this is about where you can count on getting him the 13th to 15th round here, and that's Dalton Varsho. Um, he's going to move over to left field, it appears, with Kiermaier signing in Toronto. And surprisingly to me and maybe others, he's never got to this point and it's the stolen bases that he's been short. Uh, the home runs haven't been the issue. So once again, with the new rules, another year of that under our belt, another two seconds off the clock, his success rate in the stolen bases, he should probably be taking more attempts. I think we'll probably see that. So I like Dalton Varsho here to go 2024. Varsho, just another one of those guys that you're you you worry about. Well, not that you worry about, but you like you almost forget about because it's like, oh, all his value was in that catcher um eligibility. And obviously losing that last season um kind of knocks him down. But you know, with you know, he's still gonna be able to put up what you're looking for um and on a in a regular in a regular basis. So you're not obviously not drafting Varsho for in that catcher range that you used to. Um, doesn't mean he doesn't have the value at outfield, especially with the five in a, in a five outfielder league. So um, nice call out there. I think um, let's move on then to the next rounds of groupings, next grouping of rounds, uh, round 16 to 18, Kevin, uh, we're looking at, you know, the, the two thirty two fifty range um, of ADP uh, and, and then some, what uh, what names kind of stood out for you there? Yeah, this one they're they're pretty slim. Uh, a lot of pitchers and a lot of catchers taken in, in this area of drafts. So we didn't have a lot of choices. Still, some guys here though where it's possible. One of them completely health related, uh, and, and some question marks. The the power's been down even when healthy the last couple of years. But that's Starlin Marte. I don't think he's staying healthy enough to do this. So I'm kind of glancing over that, but. We we know due to his uh due to what he's done in his career, it is a possibility. We've talked a lot about Tyler O'Neill and the move to Boston, even when it wasn't uh official and how much I like that move. Love Tyler O'Neill in the 16th round. He has gone as high as the 14th round, but late in the 14th, pick 207 is is his men still. I think that will continue to to get earlier and earlier throughout draft season as long as he's as long as we're not hearing anything along the injury front that is the concern with Tyler O'Neill and I'm kind of glossing over that even though he was my guy because I I really think that some might be surprised at how close or how how high the potential is for Jack Sawinski to reach these numbers. And it has a lot to do with his success that, that he's had 
in his stolen bases. I believe, yeah, he was only caught twice. He had 13 stolen bases, only caught twice. Once again, what we know with the new rules, success rate, always, we always heard it needs to be at 72, 73%. Some would even round it up to 75%. If if you're a lot more successful than that, like Jack Sawinski is, you're not making enough stolen base attempts. You're actually costing your team runs over the course of a season. I think teams like the Pirates are starting to look at these numbers, and I think they'll turn him loose a little more often. Another guy we're not concerned about with the home runs here, Steamer only has him projected for eight stolen bases. I don't see that for a guy that just went 13 for 15. Yeah, I mean, I like, I think that you're you're mentioning it a lot, but I think that it's it's worth harping on is the fact that Hey, like if you're successful, your team should be taking advantage of that, especially in in, in this new environment that we're that we're seeing. Um, you know, I I guess I worry about Swinski. Like he's got to run a lot more to get to that 24 mark, right? To you know, to add if he's if he's already running only you know 13 times, if he's going to be running another and a, basically doubling that in order to get to that 24 mark. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not he's put into situations where he has the opportunity to do so. We all know like you can't run unless you have the opportunity to do so. Um, and if his team is willing to uh, take advantage of that. So we'll, I guess we're going to start seeing uh, what teams are, are adjusting more so to these, um, to the, to the new environment that we've seen in 2023 right away and we talk about this too in spring training that's one of the things you can actually look at that actually is a little stickier than most things is how the team is taking advantage of the base running opportunities what they're actually doing on the base pass to to perform to to prepare themselves for the regular season um in the teams that run or are more aggressive on the base pass in spring training typically at least into april um, are also more aggressive in the regular season as well. So uh, something to see how his team uh, works that in into his repertoire in March. Uh, all right, round 19 to 21 here, Kevin. Um, got some pretty you know, obvious names as far as speed goes. It's just whether or not they're going to get enough playing time um, to honestly get enough playing time to hit the home runs, never mind the stolen bases. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, talk to talk to me about some of the more obvious names on this list. Yeah, playing time both due to injury and team context and uh, a, a rookie or two here, right? So I, I, I'm just going to cruise through these names that all have a question mark, mainly due to playing time. Uh, Tavares in Texas. We got Evan Carter. We got Wyatt Langford coming. Adelise Garcia is out there. Tavares played well especially in the second half uh and 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 has a nice shot uh you pointed out to me earlier today and i had seen it and we talked about it off air that uh, eric cross put out a tweet of guys that were projected for 15 15 so getting as close to this mark and Tavares is one of them in texas so i like that call out he's close even in projections, just didn't quite make the group that that knocked guys out of this earlier. Uh, Byron Buxton, nothing else needs to be said, right? We know the concerns there. 
Tommy Pham, we've talked about him recently. Where's he end up? Is he a full-time player? Does he have to play his way in as he did last year? And he was awesome when he did. We've talked about that. Parker Meadows, young guy, Will Benson, and Fraley, both in Cincinnati, brought that up when we were talking about guys going 10 rounds earlier. So there's the concerns there. So I settled on Jose Siri uh, here going in the 19th round. And... We know about the power. I think some might be surprised that he was as successful as he was in his stolen base attempts. And in Tampa, they, they gave him a pretty good run, uh, almost a, a, you know every everyday basis. Uh, not a lot of matchup playing with him. So, yep, the stolen bases do have to come up, but it's another guy that was successful. And if anybody is... And I think a lot of teams are. I think this offseason teams are, I'm, I'm going to quit saying it, they were too successful. Um, I think they'll turn some guys loose a little more. So I see Jose Siri with the possibility of getting to this point. Yeah, I mean, Siri is guy as he's coming up as a prospect who his speed was his calling card. Like, he's right. not a power guy. The power kind of was surprising, at least to me. Um, as, he sold as, out, started pulling the ball. Yeah, well, that doesn't, that, but that's the thing. He can do that. It doesn't affect the yeah, way he runs absolutely. at all. <laughs> he might strike yeah, out a couple exactly. more times, but uh, he's uh, not going to affect how he runs. Um, and, and so, yes, his output hasn't been what we would maybe have expected um, as, you know, stolen 13 bases last year. Uh, sorry, 12 stolen bases last year, 14 stolen bases in 2022. Um, but still relatively, if not above average success rate uh, in both of those seasons. Um, I would like to see him take advantage of that speed that he obviously has moving in uh, to 2024. Um, as I, I don't remember. I've done too many drafts already. Um, and not as many as some other people. I get that. I'm not trying to like put myself in a certain situation, but more than I have done before the new year has crossed. And so I know I've got him somewhere. I just don't know in what context. Um, yeah. And, and steamer 600 has him making it. Uh, they're only projecting him for 483 plate appearances, 122 games. I think we see him more than that. Uh, so he easily makes it if he gets into 140 games. Projection-wise, not easily performs it, but his projection easily gets there uh, if, if we see those added plate appearances. Yeah, and uh, obviously with Luke Rayleigh leaving the Rays, you know maybe there's a little bit of less competition in that outfield, and Siri doesn't fall into more of a platoon situation, and he can kind of roam center field freely on a regular basis and at least volume his way up to where we need them to be rounds 22 to 24. Okay. We are getting post 300 here, Kevin. Um, and, and generally speaking, what are we looking at for options as we get into the second third, um, of a standard 30, 30 round draft? Yeah, there's still guys here and, and in this range, still multiple guys. I think with the opportunity question marks, Absolutely uh, not definite. Speaking of Rayleigh, Luke Rayleigh, now in Seattle, he's a possibility. I like him. Chris Taylor, we we know he has 2020 potential when given the playing time. And so that's a possibility. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong is interesting. 
once like rookies earlier in the draft, uh, we, we have to see him up and up early for him to reach this number. But I really like Alec Thomas here in Arizona. We've seen him up and down due to performance for the last couple of seasons. Finally, in 2023, we started seeing the Alec Thomas that we wanted to see and that Arizona wanted to see. They kept giving him opportunities. He finally took advantage for the last third of the season on into the postseason. I, I think we see 600 plate appearances plus of Alec Thomas as a starting center fielder in Arizona. And if that's the case, at an ADP of 318, 22nd round in 15-team leagues, we could see Alec Thomas go 2024 in 2024. I, I just love hearing the 2024 in 2024. Thank you for uh, obliging. To, <laughs> to of course. The silliness uh, that is this theme here. Um, yeah, I mean, Thomas is just all about like, I mean, obviously this is, you say it with a lot of different players, especially prospects. I mean, he had the pedigree. He had, he was the guy that you thought was going to be like that. You know, he's going to come up with Carol um, and just be like the centerpieces of that outfield in Arizona um, and just wasn't given the consistency um, and especially in playing time, kind of moving him up and down as well. Uh, majors and minors. It seems like he's got a pretty clear runway. Uh, going into 2024, in my opinion, um, in Arizona. So I know I've been uh, grabbing him in a couple places as my fourth and or fifth outfielder, depending on the the way I've built the team by that time in the draft. Uh, so fan as well. Love the call out there. Um, yeah, some of the, the one of the things that one of the drawbacks of some of the guys that are so successful right away, like Corbin Carroll, like Bobby Witt Jr., is we give up on some of these other guys so quickly. I mean, Alec <laughs> Thomas is still 23 years old, right? And he's got 813 plate appearances at the major league level under his belt. And he's now he's finally starting to perform at the level we had hoped. But when we see these guys so young and they don't pan out right away, I, I think they're giving up on too early, especially in our fantasy leagues. Yeah. I mean, it's this is how you can take advantage in your drafts, right? Um, it's it's the risk. The reward way, way outperforms the risk at this point in a draft, right? Anytime you've been you're draft, basically drafting passing a lot of point. Jared Kelnick, right? Same yeah, thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got to love the post-hype sleepers, you know? <laughs> yes. My favorite. <laughs> That's favorite term. Yeah. It's a great term. <laughs> uh all right it's getting a little thin kevin uh we are getting to rounds 25 to 27 here um it, again this especially in your fab leagues this is where you're starting to take all the risk you're filling out your bench how are you going to fill those last seven spots um and you're starting to you're already hopefully you're doing that by now um, you're not filling in one of your starting spots by round 25 who's out there though that you can throw on your bench hoping that they put it together really early because you want to be able to make these decisions, right? We talk about this all the time. Um, Nick Pollock talks about it all the time. You want to be able to make the decisions early about these types of players. Um, that's why I like drafting these fab leagues early in the season because I can take and be like, the only thing I care about is where this person signs, 
what role they're going to be given out of spring training. Um, not so much like, are they going to have to figure it out throughout April and into May? Am I not going to want to cut this guy? Um, these are the type of players I want to be able to cut the first fab period, if not the second fab period. Um, and I want to be able to do that with conviction. Who kind of fits that mold and could if if they have a heart half uh they have a hot start i'm not going to want to cut them because they can hit 2024 2024 in 2024 now at, at first this this is why i alluded to this earlier uh when, when it came up with uh starly Marte. uh at, at first i had tyrone taylor in this spot uh the harrison bader signing made me go oh i gotta find another guy and, and not only that i cheated a little bit he's actually going later than round 30 i thought that'd be okay at this spot the last spot on the list uh and as i said and uh, i i joked about second week in april we will probably see a lot of tyrone taylor in 2024 maybe not early enough to to reach these thresholds, but Edward Olivares, and this is exactly what, what you just brought up with what we'll be able to, if we're, if we're drafted now, you take him in the 29th, 30th round, 28th, we're late in your draft and see if he's getting the everyday playing time with Pittsburgh. If he does, he has the potential to be a, a 2020, maybe even 2024 guy, that would be a huge jump in stolen bases above his projection. Although he did have 11 stolen bases in 2023 uh, in, you know, not a lot more than, than half of the playing time there. So we, we know he has the power. He's got the speed as well. If he's going to play every day for Pittsburgh, which I think there's a really good chance he is, uh, that low strikeout rate, gotta love it, right? Uh, 18.7% strikeout rate for his career for a guy with the little bit of power that he does have, and then the speed as well. He's he's still 27 years old, he will be 28 by the time the season starts, but uh, he, I, he's got some years left in him. I mean, he's he spent half his career on the bus back and forth between Kansas City and Omaha, right? So I, I like Edward Olivares to have a really nice year. This might be pushing it a little bit, but we're talking last three rounds of a 15-team, 30-round draft, and we're still finding guys that have a potential to at least get close to a 2020 or 2024 season. Uh, so Edward Olivares, I, he, he could get close. Yeah, I mean, these guys, It's at this point in the draft, like you said, it's like these are still players that have a chance. It really doesn't revolve around talent. It just revolves around what opportunity their teams are going to give them. Um, and whether they're going to give them a green light to run, whether or not they're going to give them enough plate appearances to volume their way to that spot. Um, because, I mean, I think we all see it. If Oliveris gets those 600 plus plate appearances, you know, he can do it. It's just a matter of whether or not Pittsburgh's going to. And you're going to, you're going to, see that in spring training it's a little less clear than on the pitching side like what what we see from from hitters um in spring training because you know you have to really you know rely on guys like McCurlin and guys who are looking at their lineups and stuff like that and, and kind of analyzing that um but it's a very short sample right and these are games that don't matter they're just trying to 
you know, iron out different, different things. They're trying to work on swings. They're trying to work on whatever it is. Um, but you still can see like, who are they putting at the top of the lineup? Who do they want to get as many at bats as possible? Who are they not pulling after the first, you know, wave, um, after the first string of players that they, they pull off, um, and how much how much look do they actually want to give certain players? And if Oliveras is is that guy, then it's it's a good sign, right? It's a good sign that the Pirates traded, you know, brought him in, and they if they want to give him more playing time in spring training, they obviously want to get as much of a look as possible in game scenarios. And that bodes well if that happens. That bodes well for the role he will have in April. Right. I think the Pirates have reached the point where. They they want to win baseball games. They may not be planning on making the postseason in 2024, but what we've seen, and as a Royals fan, I, I know this perfectly, the, the way that the draft lottery works now in Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. tanking isn't, in, in fact, it's, it's almost not worth it at all. Uh, the Royals have had the second and third worst records the last two seasons. They're picking sixth and eighth, right? Go win your baseball games if you can. And you're doing that. You're still developing your your young players, but you're 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 playing the ones that you're you're trying to win baseball games at the same time. The fact that you had to say a team has reached a point where they're trying to win baseball games is it's, not a happy is not a happy statement. <laughs> at least we're there. Yeah, I guess I guess. We we've already talked about one team that we are pretty certain is not at that point any further. Sorry, Mike Carter, uh, but we will we will save that for another time. All right, well that that gets us through round thirty. Some really interesting names. You might have already been on your on, on your watch list. You might have been looking at them, uh, but just think about the fact that hey, you know what? Like at, especially in the bottom third of your drafts, you've got some options of guys who could, you know, step it up if given that opportunity. So uh, some more names to consider as you are getting knee deep in your draft season. Uh, But that, I think that's, that's about it, Kevin. What do we got for us to kind of uh, tie it all together as we enter January, as we enter 2024 and we continue to get that much closer to actual baseball. We are closer than you might realize. Um, so be careful. And I, I know we have a lot of fantasy football players out there. Some wait till after that. Some that have even been doing fantasy baseball prep and doing some drafts even, but not really diving in. And we, we, we don't do our important drafts till March. I did my air quotes that nobody could see. Um, we're almost there. It's close. Time's ticking away. So don't wait too much longer to start putting your spreadsheets together, putting your rankings together, uploading your things onto the different sites. So you're not looking at default draft rankings. That's a big one, in, in my opinion. That is such a huge advantage when you're drafting is having your rankings upload it for them, whether you do your own projections, whether there's someone else's that uh, Tanner Bell has the, the, the greatest thing on the planet. As far as this is concerned, uh, go check out his little spreadsheet and he has a little video that shows you how to do it. You can upload your thing onto your, uh, different, uh, draft platform. So you have your rankings are what is in your draft room. Uh, that helps so much, but, Time is running out quicker than we might think. 
uh, we're two months away, less than two months away from the so-called March drafts. So uh, don't don't wait too much longer. I mean, if a draft happens in March, it's a March draft. I mean, that's just yeah. how that works. Yeah, no winklage. Yeah, exactly. Uh, something else that we're getting a lot closer to that I don't think is being talked about enough is PitchCon, uh, January yeah. 24th to the 27th. Um, actually, I think it might be going an extra day or two. So look for an official announcement for at pitcher list uh, in, in the coming days, I'm sure. Uh, but that that's always a blast, obviously raising money for ALS as well. Um, and so we will we will look forward to that uh, as as well. That's it's always a good time. Obviously, it was an event that was kind of created during, you know, the height of the pandemic and as a, almost like a lost season. But there's no reason that it w- shouldn't have continued uh, past that. And it has every year since. So this should be the biggest one yet. So look forward to more announcements on that in the coming days and weeks. All right. But that is going to do it, Kevin, for us at episode 145 of On The Wire. You could follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. After all that, I am Adam Howe, and on behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye.